You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. FireEye traces its breach to a compromised SolarWinds update to its Orion platform. CISA issues an emergency directive to get control of an attack that's known to have affected at least two federal departments. Rick Howard shares lessons from Season 3 of CSO Perspectives. Betsy Carmelite from Booz Allen continues her analysis of their 2021 Cyber Threat Trends Report. And while reports attribute the supply chain attack to Russia's SVR, Moscow says Cozy Bear didn't do nothing. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, December 14th, 2020. The Washington Post's reporting on the FireEye breach says that FireEye and the U.S. Departments of Commerce and the Treasury were successfully breached through their network management system, a very widely used SolarWinds product. It seems clear that Russia's SVR is responsible for the attack, in which FireEye lost some of its red teaming tools. It's also increasingly clear that the initial compromise was a supply chain attack and that a large number of other organizations were also affected. SolarWinds disclosed over the weekend that it had become apprised of a highly sophisticated manual supply chain attack on SolarWinds Orion platform software builds for version 2019.4 HF5 through 2020.2.1, released between March 2020 and June 2020. This would appear to be the source of the FireEye breach, which is now known to have not been confined to FireEye. The attack involved the introduction of a backdoor into the Orion platform. That backdoor was subsequently propagated in the form of a software update that contained the malware. FireEye calls the backdoor Sunburst. Microsoft Security Response Center has a detailed account of how the malware functions. Both FireEye and Microsoft have upgraded their security products to include measures for detecting and protecting against the attack. SolarWinds urges its customers to upgrade to Orion Platform version 2020.2.1 HF1 as soon as possible. In response to the incident, late yesterday evening, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency issued Emergency Directive 21-01, 
outlining immediate steps federal agencies should take to protect themselves from attacks exploiting the back door. The emergency directive has a deadline of noon today for agencies to complete the immediate remediation actions CISA requires. The agency is particularly concerned to warn enterprises against the possibility of Kerber roasting, an attack technique in which credentials are stolen from memory and then cracked offline. We'll have more on Emergency Directive 21-01 in this afternoon's pro-policy briefing. Cozy Bear, also called APT-29 and a known unit of Russia's SVR Foreign Intelligence Service, appears to have been behind the supply chain attack on solar winds and therefore responsible for not only the FireEye breach, but the attacks on the U.S. Departments of Commerce and the Treasury as well, the Wall Street Journal reports. Cozy Bear earned a reputation during operations against U.S. campaigns in 2015 and 2016 for being quieter and less obtrusive than its GRU cousin, Fancy Bear. That seems to have been the case in the SolarWinds incident. FireEye yesterday afternoon blogged that the threat actor's work was characterized by a light malware footprint using limited malware to accomplish the mission while avoiding detection, and by prioritization of stealth, going to significant lengths to observe and blend into normal network activity, and high OPSEC, patiently conducting reconnaissance, consistently covering their tracks, and using difficult-to-attribute tools. While SolarWinds itself believes that exploitation of the vulnerability appears to have been narrowly targeted against a relatively short list of organizations, the potential risk may be very widespread. SolarWinds customers include large corporations, government agencies, and military services. As is its custom in such matters, Moscow denies having done anything and regrets, Reuters says, the U.S. rejection of bilateral cooperation. Such calls for international cooperation, usually, although this time not yet accompanied by good citizen expressions of a desire to see and weigh the evidence, routinely accompany the Kremlin's protestations of innocence in such matters. Gmail and other Google services experienced an outage early this morning. Mountain View sent a text to its very large user base at 7.27 a.m. Eastern Time saying, quote, we are aware that all Google functions are currently down. We will send a communication when things are back up. Thank you for your patience, end quote. The Google Workspace status dashboard noted the outage at 6.55 a.m. and by 7.31 reported that Gmail, at least, had been restored for the majority of users. The cause of the outage is so far unknown and still under investigation. A Washington Post report suggests that Huawei's collaboration with companies to develop products that serve social control extended beyond the work with MegV that critics have called a Uyghur alarm. Huawei describes that project as a test and says it takes allegations that its products might be used for repression seriously, especially since, Huawei told the BBC, ethnic targeting would be contrary to the company's principles. The company told The Post it's opened an investigation into the matter. Among the 38 projects currently listed on a Huawei Chinese-language website, down from a high of about 2,000 before the site was temporarily taken down and restored, is a product developed with Vicor that can alert authorities to the formation of crowds. It can be set to trip by clusters of between 3 and 50 people. Anyway, Huawei is investigating what it says in a subjunctive mood, 
would amount to a departure from the company's core commitment to non-discrimination, and so on. The supply chain attack Cozy Bear executed through SolarWinds' Orion platform rightly dominated today's news, but we'll close with a few reminders of where security firms think things are headed, generally speaking, in 2021. Recent speculation about the near future continues to see 2020's threats shaped by the conditions the COVID-19 pandemic has imposed on commerce, work, and study. Orange Cyber Defense argues that the rewards the pandemic presents in the form of distributed workplaces, stressed organizations, and equally stressed individuals will tend to push cyber criminals in the direction of greater professionalism. That trend is reinforced by the widespread availability of more effective commodity attack tools and services. Orange says, quote, While highly critical attacks are still kind of rare, we've seen in the past few years a massive shift from low to medium criticality among the incidents we've recorded, reflecting the availability of fairly sophisticated attack tools to less skilled criminals. End quote. They're also seeing an increase in the level of insider threats, and they expect that to continue as well. A Code 42 study reaches a similar conclusion about insider risk. Remote work, complicated new working arrangements, a looser grip on access control, and a lack of planning adequate to the sort of improvisation organizations have been forced into all make their contribution. It's worth noting that much, probably most, of the insider risk people worry about is unintentional and not necessarily malicious. And data-rich, poorly resourced, and defended organizations with large number of users in their networks will remain attractive targets. Government technology suggests we think of elementary through high school education. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief analyst, also our chief security officer. Rick, great to have you back. Hey, Dave. Well, my hat is off to you. Uh, you have you have done it, my friend. You have made it to the end of the year, and uh, more importantly than that, you have uh, completed your third season of CSO. Yeah, I know, right? CSO perspectives. Um, I'm looking back at season three. What are, what are some of the big take homes for you? Well, first, you're so right, Dave, and like the rest of your listeners, I am sure you know I'm ready to put this dumpster fire of a year behind us, right? So <laughs> I know, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm so looking forward to starting to begin to get back to normal sometime in 2021. So let's just keep right. our fingers crossed about that. For season three, uh, we covered a lot of ground on topics that I was either ignorant on or before we started, or I had developed some misconceptions about these ideas along the way that needed some tuning. And so my big takeaway, I think, is how the business of security has kind of seeped out of the traditional and stovepiped infosec channels and spread across this entire business in ways that um, I had not anticipated. How so? How do you, how do you mean that? Well, for example, we, uh, one of the, we did two episodes on SD-WANs, and what's interesting is that SD-WANs is kind of an interesting networking idea until you realize in order to make it viable for the enterprise, you have to secure it. And the only way to secure it really is with some version of the SASE model or secure access service edge. So that's all security for this kind of interesting uh, networking idea. Right, right. Yeah, I, I see your point. Now, my recollection is that um, you made a similar argument about containers and serverless functions as well. That's right. And, and how these two ideas are key components to the now 10 years old DevOps movement. But until the security professionals squeeze into the discussion and make it truly DevSecOps, we're not going to make the enterprise more secure. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Um, I also remember that you were you were talking about how we might all start focusing on SOAR. Now, just back up for a second. What does SOAR stand for? Yeah, I know. I, I have to look it up every time I, I see the acronym. It stands for Secure Orchestration Automation and Response. And for those tools, the immediate benefit was to automatically eliminate the tier one noise coming into the SOC. You know, all these security stack devices generate all these alerts, and so we could automate that process of handling them. But mm -hmm. SOAR tools can do so much more than that, you know, and they can be used by the InfoSec teams to create their own infrastructure as code projects for more efficiency and more speed. Hmm. So in order to make security a priority, that goes across the entire business and not just have it be technical silos, you know, buried underneath the CIO's organization. Um, where should the chief security officer sit in terms of authority within the organization? Well, for sure, the industry has no consensus answer to that point. Uh, but mm -hmm. from talking to our subject matter experts around the CyberWire's hash table, most feel the best practice for the chief security officer is to be an essential member of the organization's C-level leadership team. Mm, yeah. Well, it's good stuff, Rick. Um, what's coming up next? What do you have in mind for the, uh, the next season? Well, we've begun work on season four, and your listeners will be able to start hearing those episodes appear somewhere in the week of January 11th. In the meantime, sir, happy holidays to you, and I guess <laughs> I will talk to you next year. Happy holidays to you too, Rick. It's been uh, a real treat having you join us this past year, and I'm looking forward to what's to come. Excellent. Thank you, sir.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Betsy Carmelite. She is a senior associate at Booz Allen Hamilton. Betsy, it's great to have you back on the show. Um, you and I have been going through some of the highlights of the 2021 Cyber Threat Trends Report that you and your colleagues at uh, Booz Allen Hamilton have released. Um, and I wanted to touch base on one of the things that was in there. You, you touch on this notion of intelligent cybercrime, you know, the bad guys making use of things like artificial intelligence, evasion, things like that. What can you share with us there? Here we're looking at how threat actors will use the same artificial intelligence that nearly all industries use to revolutionize services to develop AI-based tools to build malware that can reliably defeat AI-based security solutions. So we see this as indeed the next step in intelligent cybercrime for threat actors to remain undetected. In, in cybersecurity, one of the most significant advances in AI has been in malware detection. So that's where we move into this idea of evasion. Among the most mature of these AI security solutions is the use of machine learning algorithms and antivirus engines. Malware developers have really sought to stay a step ahead of the static signatures used in AV engines. They use tactics like polymorphic or self-modifying malware, and that's led to exponential growth in the samples of that malware observed in the wild. One of the most powerful tools in detecting this rise of, of previously unobserved malware is the AI-based antivirus engine. So hmm. with the premise here is that we think threat actors will turn their sights on AI-enabled tools to aid their malware development process. For instance, incorporating AI-enabled tools to finalize malware payloads before use, like encoders, packers, obfuscators used today, We've seen some researchers demonstrate tools that can be used to defeat really the most advanced AV systems. So the takeaway here is that threat actor use of AI means that antivirus will be less effective against malware that can be modified and difficult to detect. So really beneficial if you're the attacker. Hmm. Well, I mean, let's talk mitigations then. I mean, is it, is, it a, is it defense in depth? You know, some of the old things? I mean, what are you all recommending from that point of view? Yeah, really defense in depth to limit these threats of malware payloads um, specifically designed to defeat AI. Um, organizations should implement a defense in depth strategy to disrupt these attacks elsewhere in the kill chain. Um, we're looking at hardening internet-facing inf infrastructure, again, training employees, um, which can, can limit the likelihood of successful delivery. Uh, network security tools such as IDSs can be used to detect command and control traffic. Um, one of the other things that we're recommending for mitigation, because sometimes the actual threat 
um, is is targeting the underlying data models and associated intellectual property of creating the AI services. We're concerned around um, that secret ingredient in the AI services, not really being the algorithms, but the data used to build that train model capable mm. of producing true positive results. So if that's stolen, basically, you know, you steal the model and you save yourself the trouble of building it. Um, organizations really need to treat and think of AI models as proprietary intellectual property and protect them as they would any proprietary software. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting insight for sure. All right. Well, Betsy Carmelite, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. The quicker picker-upper. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Ha! I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.